Hi, this is Jeff Kober, and we welcome you to another Disney at Play podcast. In fact, it's Disney News on Parade for June 29th, 2020. Today, we're talking about new park safety insights and park and hotel registrations from last week. It's the perfect storm. All this and so much more. So join us. Make sure you check out our notes page at DisneyAtPlay.com. We have so much to cover in terms of visuals, images, links, and so forth. So be sure to check it all out. Let's begin with the uh, the new registration processes that were introduced last year. Or not last year. feels like it's been a year ago. It's actually just been a week. Last week, we spoke of the new registration process and the dates. Since then, many of those dates have come and gone. And, uh, well, how did they fare? Well, here's some of the highlights of last week and this week. First, Monday, June 22nd. This was the first day when reservations were made available uh, park reservations were made available to those who had already confirmed reservations for a hotel or for DVC. That day started awful. Everything was backed up. It took hours for people to get through. A lot of people, they'd gone through the res process, things crashed and burned. Over time, as you rolled into evening, things started to get better, but it was a bad start to restarting the reservation process. Fast forward two days later, Wednesday, June 24th. Uh, and by the way, from what I've heard from travel agents, Tuesday doing the same kind of things, it was okay by then. But again, Monday was, was a mess. Wednesday, June 24th, the option was made available for guests to grab reservations from January 1st of 2021 through September 26th of 2021. Remember that October 1st of 21 will be the 50th anniversary. So they've gone up until that point. Um, and for the most part, you'd think, well, you know, you don't have to run, unless you've got a unique date or some very, you know, uh, specific request. I want to be in um, in the best suite at Disney's Polynesian Resort on Christmas Day. You, you definitely need to be out of the gate if that were the case. But otherwise, you probably, you know, have time to make those reservations and try to figure out what you want to do. But that kind of rolled and went through all right. Friday, on June 26, annual pass holders... Uh, had availability beginning on this date uh, to book their reservations into the park. That began at 6 a.m. Many of those reservations or venues uh, were unavailable within minutes as annual pass holders booked up to three experiences at a time. Again, the flow actually went fairly well, especially if you were up early. For me, I was lucky. I was there at 6 a.m. and it allowed me to book uh, right through without any problems. In fact, I did all three bookings and changed one of the three bookings all within about eight minutes. So it went really smooth, very well, all things considered. The interesting thing was, is that when reservations for park reservations began on Monday, you could go online and see which days certain parks 
were no longer available. The good news was, as we rolled into um, the into annual pass holder reservations, they actually freed up some additional um, days. So I was able to get the Magic Kingdom on day one of availability. I was able to get the studios on day um, three, or well, the first day it, it was available. And then I also grabbed um, Animal Kingdom as well. So that went actually very well um, on Friday 26. Again, if you were up early at 6 a.m. to get them. Sunday, June 28th, the Disney Park Pass system opened up to all other existing ticket holders. So if you already had a ticket um, previously, you could then go in and finally make your reservation. It's questionable how many openings there were but I haven't seen online a lot of negative feedback about this date. Notwithstanding, um, one of the challenges is moving forward that making advanced reservations to go into the parks makes it very difficult for hotels outside of the Disney bubble to draw guests when they have not been able to reserve their park stay yet. So imagine, you know, usually you try to make your hotel reservation and then once you've figured out what days you're staying at a hotel, you then go about trying to buy tickets and to make a park reservation. So that makes all that, it becomes a lot trickier now um, moving forward. Move forward to today, Monday, June 29th. Disney told annual pass holders that there would be previews um, to the parks. They didn't state when you could get those preview tickets. Well, lo and behold, it happened at about 11.30 this morning. The message was sent via text and email to almost all annual pass holders. Um, I saw it immediately. In fact, I was on the road. I, it buzzed. I pulled over to try to make that, but within minutes, um, the availability of these tickets um, were gone. Remember, there were only two days for previews, and that was only to the Magic Kingdom and Disney's Animal Kingdom. They went very quickly. I'll just say, for future purposes here, if you're in this category, when it says in bold, do not refresh the screen, do not go back, uh, I think that was my mistake. I think I was in the queue fairly early, but kind of, and, and I could see every minute or so, the screen kind of refresh itself and kind of do a little bleep thing and refresh itself. I think if I had stayed in the queue that I was originally in, I would have probably eventually gotten online to be able to book my ticket. But I think when you then go past or refresh your screen, they then put you at the bottom of the queue. And so within 15 minutes, I did that thinking, I wonder, wonder where we're at. Maybe I should refresh because I'm on the phone. I'm not in front of my laptop. And so I refresh and immediately it told me, oh, sorry, no tickets available. So that was a big bummer. What still remains is the cast member preview tickets. Those will probably be made available on a first come first serve basis somewhere in the next day or two. The advantage of those is that they will have four days, not two days of previews. And that will include not just Animal Kingdom and Magic Kingdom, but also Epcot and Disney's Hollywood Studios. I should mention, this will actually be the first time and the only day, two days, there'll be two days for 
um, Magic Kingdom and Animal Kingdom to reserve for, and two days for reserving either the studios and Epcot. And they'll only get one day out of all of that, but um, and only one park. But if you recall, Rise of the Resistance had yet to be made available to Disney cast members to actually see. They were not entitled to the previews. They did that for um, Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway, but they did not do that for Rise of the Resistance. So unless they had had a paper ticket, they couldn't actually see um, that attraction uh, in a preview form. So these two days will actually be the first time many cast members will have a chance to see Rise of the Resistance for the first time. What still remains is, uh, again, we'll see where that flushes out and what happens there. I think those will go very quickly and I'm not sure, I'm not sure how that works because cast members are already back at work. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. So if you're in the middle of a meeting, you're in the middle of a job shift, you get to stop and go make a reservation. It is available to not only cast members who are brought back to work, but those who are still furloughed. So that's kind of a cool thing. All that's said and done, what happened over this last week? Let's talk about what is really the perfect storm. IT, Disney reservations, and travel planners. Now, to offer a little context here, Disney isn't Google. Disney isn't Amazon. Therefore, IT systems like MyMagic are really secondary efforts and secondary issues to the core business that they're in. Their core business is attractions, resorts, food and beverage, um, souvenirs. This is just a support system. It's not the system. It's not their primary product. And, um, and so over time, they've never really had solid software um, offerings. And it's been kind of a joke, you know, that, that systems failed to do what they were supposed to and so forth, or that you had to go through this particularly strange route in order to get a particular thing scheduled or to get something reversed. And so it was, it was a lot of challenges to that over the time. And unfortunately, IT ends up becoming the, the brunt of the joke because everybody in the know in this community, whenever software is supposed to play a critical role to the guest experience, people just roll their eyes because they really don't expect it to succeed. And unfortunately, with this kind of history, that's kind of how people met the experience. They expected it to be that way, and frankly, it looked like it delivered it. In truth, after a day or so, it seemed to smooth out pretty good. But, but really, the problem, I think, last week was not IT so much, but central reservations. And I think why that became a problem is because executives were working from a paradigm that looked like the following. Well, you know, first of all, we're, we're only going to have a small percentage who will be able to come into the resorts and the parks up front. So as a result, we don't need a whole lot of people to take reservations, right? 
and and two, the the bookings are going way out into 2021, so everybody's not going to go online right away or call up Disney reservations to do it on the first day. They'll wait a few days, or three, they, well, you know, we have added, you know, we put a lot of money with IT to add features to our maps or to our apps, like making a park reservation. So we won't need as many cast members to help, you know, do all that legwork. And beyond that, you know, uh, people are skittish about coming to the park. So inquiries as a whole are going to be quite less. And it's just going to kind of, you know, slowly roll into, you know, greater interest. And, And furthermore, we're working on, you know, less cash. So we really can afford to bring back all of the Disney Reservation cast members, you know, back at, at this point. So with that, those kinds of paradigms in mind, you end up probably making the mistake of not bringing all of your reservations team back to work on these critical dates. And for what I understand, that's exactly what happened. And that's why guests, and especially travel agents, waited for hours to get someone to talk to. It was a perfect storm. The IT, the um, uh, the Disney reservation system, and, and eventually, you know, it just left a lot of people frustrated on day one. Now, I also mentioned the travel agents. So let me talk about that for a moment. The way to address problems head on when you think you're going to have, say, IT problems or, you know, heavy demand, the way to address that is to provide as much communication up front. We're going to communicate everything we can to our guests. We're going to provide detailed explanations and understanding and training to our travel agents and and then of course to our own cast members right but because many of these issues were being addressed for the first time as they came down the pike they didn't do a lot of upfront communication in fact they probably thought you know what if we say everything up front we're going to create problems up front so let's just communicate what we absolutely essentially have to that's a PR perspective, that when you're trying to manage communications, let's let's just minimize the message to absolutely what has to happen. And this unfortunately becomes a mistake because it leaves everyone frustrated and unengaged. They don't know what's going on. They don't know what's expected. They don't have the final word. And in my conversations with cast members, you know, they were doing their very best, but honestly, Uh, it was painfully difficult in dealing with everything on their plates because they themselves uh, didn't have all of the training and communications and information that they needed. So then we talk about the travel agents. Now, travel agents are quote-unquote operating partners. They're not quite like Coca-Cola, you know, sponsoring attraction and bringing syrup to the table, but they are an operating partner. Operating partners is language, just like we have language for cast members instead of employees or guests instead of customers. We Disney uses the term operating partners because it really means, uh, which frankly in any other organization would mean third party operator or contractor in any other organization. 
But culturally at Disney, it's supposed to be different. They're supposed to be truly partners. So as your as an operating partner, we expect you to uphold our standards. You're expected to go through the same training that we go through. We're going to share in the planning and the operation and the execution and the communications of what's going on. So it becomes seamless. It becomes one Disney as it rolls out. That's the intent with an operating partner. Third-party people, on the other hand, contractors, they're just contractors. And contractors, you know, they just do what's spelled out in the contract. No more, no less. Just do what you're expected to do. That's not the Disney way. The Disney way is to have operating partners where we all work together to create one Disney. The problem is Disney would probably prefer a world if they, if you really got honest about it, they'd probably prefer a world where they didn't have to use travel agents. They probably prefer to keep the percentage that ends up going back into the pockets of the travel agents. They probably would like to think that somewhere as millennials get older and so forth, and baby boomers who rely on travel agents die off, that the software will be good enough to book the experience without one and thus we'll be able to keep the percentage. So there is this, I know they say it otherwise, and they put logos to it, but there is this backhanded feeling that travel agents have that at the end of the day, they're still kind of third-party contractors. And this really comes across to them when all of a sudden they're surprised with last-minute notices or no communications at all and little training and support this just doesn't help the relationship. And it certainly does not help the guest experience. It does not lead toward a one Disney experience. Now, let me come back to the IT group. I believe that Disney has actually been planning for months what they should do. And I think that many of their plans were thoughtfully considered. I'm going to talk about safety in a minute. I see some really good thinking going on. And I think that... You know, so I think that many of their plans are thoughtfully considered. But I wondered if they really pace themselves to give the IT groups time to do their role. IT groups, which, by the way, also in many cases, I don't know if that's the situation here, but in many cases, they've been outsourcing that. Yeah, outsource is another name for contractor or third party instead of operating partner. And again, as an operating partner, we expect them to do what you know, to, to turn on a dime. But when, and I, I don't pretend to have specifics here, but I know something about spending so much time in the planning that you end up making others suffer in the execution subsequently. And I have to be honest, I did that on occasion when I worked at Disney. I, I did not think through and plan through what was happening to everybody else down the pike. And I think I've gotten my hand slapped a time or two as, as, as a leader because I really hadn't really factored in and given more, more upfront notice to people as to what was going on and what was coming down the pike. So these are the things that all frankly lead to the perfect storm. And one can kind of not blame them. And this is so unprecedented. 
And yet, if we could maybe change our perspectives of third-party IT folks or of Disney reservationists, and which, by the way, has also been third-partied in some situations, and also the travel planners themselves, you, we need to become one Disney, not, um, not some broken up operation that's, that's working on the fly. All that said and done, let me change the chapter now to talk about new safety standards and new things that are being implemented as the parks prepare to reopen. Much has been said of safety protocols that will be in place when the parks reopen. And by the way, there's been much said about some of the angst that cast members have about this. We don't need to rehearse the fact that the guests are going to need to wear masks or socially distance themselves. We've talked about this. But cast members in the last couple of days have begun an extensive, and I got to say, fairly impressive training experience. And out of it, we have some additional insights as to what not just the cast member experience will be like, but what the guest experience will be. First off, Disney has basically told their cast members that there will be different zones. Based on the position they're in, the location they'll be in, there's different kinds of expectations for the cast members when they're in certain uh, zones. For instance, in some zones, they'll be free to even remove their face covering as long as they remain socially distant from other cast members or from guests and they continue to observe other behaviors such as washing their hands. This particular zone is largely for break areas or maybe areas backstage where you are at a distant distance from other cast members. I could um, uh, maybe you're in a maintenance bay and you're all you're just the only one working underneath that monorail to fix it. You don't have to worry about face coverings because there's nobody around you. The next zone is where guests or other cast members may come as close as up to six feet towards you. In those spaces, cast members are going to be required to wear a mask. But then what happens when you're in a slightly more intimate space, say less than six feet away from guests or cast members? Well, you're not only going to be required to wear your face mask, but also a plastic shield. And in fact, in addition to the masks, complimentary plastic shields have been made available to cast members that will be working in close proximity to the guests. In fact, I saw that uh, over the weekend when I went to Disney Springs to see if my autistic child would be interested in wearing a Disney-style mask. So I stood in a very fairly long but well-organized queue at Disney Springs to buy these masks. Uh, you buy four for $20. And, um, and most of the cast members who were monitoring the queue stood about... Uh, use were all in masks but when you got to the front um, the part um, the front desk where you were actually handed those masks from a cast member those cast members had plastic shields over their face um, that they were being given so again an extra level of security 
Also, cast members um, have been given masks um, provided complimentary for them. So they are of a certain level of quality that Disney wants all cast members to have. You don't bring your own mask. And they're in basic solid colors from what I've seen. There may be some coordination, but just because your Jungle Cruise costume is beige doesn't necessarily mean they'll be getting beige masks. Maybe in that location, but not necessarily in every instance. Then um, fever checks. We talked about guests getting a fever check prior to coming in. Well, prior to clocking in, guests, uh, cast members will receive a fever check as well. Uh, moreover, cast members were actually given thermometers so that if they were uncertain, they could take their temperature at home before they got in a vehicle and drove all the way to work, which again, was a pretty, you know, got a plan to get that many thousands of thermometers to your cast members. Again, fairly impressive uh, planning on their part. Um, break rooms. Uh, there's been a lot in social media about the fact that cast members will need to bring their own food from home and they can't be dependent on internal food services um, or vending machines. However, they have made considerable effort to provide additional, and in many cases indoor, break areas, not utilized priors, prior um, by cast members. Actually, some restaurants that are being shown as not opening at this time are being converted over to being um, break areas for the cast members. Because what they wanna do in these break areas is to space the tables and chairs so that cast members are more than six feet apart from their fellow uh, cast members and that they'll have the freedom in an air conditioned space to take their mask off and just chill for a few minutes, not worry about being in close physical proximity to others. Again, really nice little aspect of this. What about the guest experience? Well, we've talked about these, but again, they are being combined together. So again, FastPass was removed, queues are being organized um, together and distance with marks on the ground, separating out parties. We knew about that. Um, when guests are being queued into a row, so for instance, I believe, what are there, four or five seats on the Frozen Ever After ride. When you're queuing for that, they'll, of course, separate rows. So if they're five rows, they'll only board the first, third, and fifth, and they'll separate out. Now, usually they'll say, okay, go into row one, you go into row three, you go into row five, and what, how many, you're probably going, you go in row one, two. No, they won't be adding guests to those rows until those guests have actually gotten on board the boat. So there won't be this intimate contact you have with other guests while you're waiting to board the ride. Very cool. Much more interesting is this, my understanding that with thrill rides like Rock and Roller Coaster or with an attraction like Soarin', uh, the guests will actually be able to, they'll be spreading them out sufficiently, um, every other row or whatever, or every other seat, so that they can remove their masks while on those kinds of attractions. So that's gonna be very cool to be able to just not have to worry about that mask when you're on that ride. What about food and beverage? Um, we actually, in a previous uh, podcast, talked about all of the venues 
that are opening. That list seems to keep moving and changing. You'll want to check that uh, location. We'll try to put a link in the show notes page. But small vending areas like where you buy sodas or Mickey bars or maybe a beer, those are all going away for the foreseeable future. Vending carts are out. Um, also, uh, also, that's for food and beverage, and then for retail, the same thing. So you like buy up the buy those light up um, toys at night and so forth that are brought out. Those any small kiosks are not going to be used for the foreseeable future. Those are all going to go away at this time. Um, we have mentioned in the past, um, but uh, there are guest green zones that are going to be made available. So guests can make a get a break from wearing a mask other than dining locations. For instance, we mentioned Pizza Fari, how unusual it was that it was not opening. My belief is that it will probably be used as a green zone. Disney has worked to provide indoor as well as outdoor green zones for guests throughout the parks. Um, and then in those areas, tables will be spaced appropriately and guests will be invited where to sit and they'll be able to sit down, take off their mask and comfortably be um, spaced apart from guests. Bus transportation, wow, bus drivers I've heard will are airing out the bus for five minutes about every 20 minutes um, or after a major um, drive-through. Uh, so they're asking guests to wait before they board so they can air out the bus. Physical barriers and numbered seats are on the buses. The hand straps that are on the bars up above, those have been zip tied, so they can't be accessed or utilized. Um, the, so the expectation is, is that all guests will be seated during the experience. And then monorail, according to uh, WDW News Today, it appears that partitions are being placed inside the monorail cabins to, again, better separate parties and to have definable spaces. Again, I have to say, very impressive. All the planning going in. And, you know, it's not just planning. You got to come up with these partitions and you got to hang them and you got to, you know, put stickers on the floors and so forth. So, again, a lot that is very impressive here going on. So, very, very cool. So, beyond all of this, we have a lot of miscellaneous news. Um, Probably the biggest of these is that uh, Cirque du Soleil Entertainment Group announced today that it and certain of its affiliated companies have filed for protection from creditors um, in order to restructure its capital structure. That said, Cirque spokesperson Melanie Fontaine told the Orlando Sentinel that while no official opening date has been set, Drawn to Life could premiere this fall barring any government restrictions. Cast and employees for the show are still on temporary leave to, quote, ensure a swift and efficient return as soon as the ban on gatherings is lifted and show operations can resume. So clearly there's a lot more to happen on Cirque du Soleil. And that's unfortunate. The great shows throughout the world, um, but they have certainly been hit hard by this pandemic. We've talked a lot about the NBA coming to Walt Disney World. It appears that NBA and National Basketball Players Association are planning to paint Black Lives Matter on the court inside both sidelines in all three arenas 
the league will be using at the Walt Disney World Resort when it resumes uh, their season late next month in Orlando. So that was basically uh, just informed uh, ESPN uh, noticed, noted that. Um, in addition, um, we're going to invite you to head to our notes page because we have a whole lot of things going on. Uh, there is only one character experience in the resorts. That's Topolino's. Apparently, Epcot's Garden Grill has also added a modified character experience. It's the only one named at this point um, for um, the parks themselves. The new Tricircle D Ranch opened at Fort Wilderness. This was moved and enlarged uh, because of the building of Reflections, the DVC resort. Um, that, of course, is in question as to whether it's going to be open. Um, August Cantina has been moved from the dining list. I would not be surprised if that becomes this. And this would be cool if they did this. It became one of the zones you could go to to just, again, get out of uh, the area and relax. They have those little alcoves. You can't see a lot of people inside, but, you know, just going inside, getting some cool air, listening. Um to our favorite uh, DJ Rex. Um, that might be a nice little thing, even if you couldn't get a drink. Um, lots, um, a new uh, zebra foal uh, has been born and is at Disney's Animal Kingdom Lodge. That's really cool. AMC has moved back its opening, so has Mulan. New uh, retail operations going in, a new cookie store, a new donuts and brews store. Uh, the M&M retail store has announced the Thanksgiving opening. And then we also note some things that are um, have kind of gone back to closing at Disney Springs. So very disappointing. I have to say, um, my wife and I had the opportunity of enjoying dinner at the Polite Pig. Um, we ended up taking, we didn't want to sit inside um, although really it was well spaced inside and it wasn't, it was nice and cool, but we just set, took a far table on the far, uh, outside perimeter away from gas thinking, I wonder if our server is going to find us with our food. I could not tell you how great the service was at the polite pig. And I've eaten there several times. I've never been really, um, that impressed by the, but I tell you the service was superb at that and the cast member just seemed so excited to have guests back and just so, such a great positive experience anyway more of these kinds of things out on uh, on our miscellaneous news so be sure to check our notes page we are so glad that you have taken the time to join us for this podcast we've got so much to cover in the weeks to come july is going to be our busiest month ever in terms of providing news and insights as Walt Disney World and so many other resorts around the world prepare to reopen. So be sure to subscribe to our podcast and, uh, and send a friendly word over to iTunes if you could with a good rating or review. That's always so appreciated. Our growth has been wonderful uh, this month. It's been amazing and, uh, and just a couple of months we have doubled the number of listeners so um so now instead of two there are four people listening no seriously we are grateful for that one more thing to mention uh the next two days well through the 30th end of june is the last time you can go and do the survey 
Survey only takes a couple of minutes and you register for the possibility of a big sweepstake prize. So please go in and register and give us your feedback. We need feedback. Feedback is the breakfast of the champions. And so we'd like to hear from you about how we can improve our podcast posts, YouTube channel, and so much more. So again, thank you for joining us. And in the words of Sinbad's storybook voyage at, at uh, Tokyo Disney Sea, which just opened this week, always follow the compass of your heart. Have a great day. See you real soon.